it, it really helps to be selling a product that solves a pain point that you mm-hmm. personally had, right? I think like early on, our ability to tell a story about the pain points that Ryan's uh, my co-founder, that Ryan and I both had as product managers at startups and at, at Alexa and how that story has, um, you know, how our pain points have shaped the product that we built and why we think that product then is right for other product managers and that they often have who we're selling to. I think that has helped us um, kind of build a rapport with people, you know, with, with potential customers who we're talking to. Um, and I think it's also allowed us to understand what are the pain points that most resonate with them. So as we start to build out our sales team, I think, you know, making sure that a lot of those learnings and, you know, our story and understanding kind of the pain points that we face and why we why decided to focus on those, that those are part of the, the sales pitch that are, you know, everyone on the sales team really understands the product and, you know, what kind of value can provide, where it's, where it's strong, where it, you know, still needs work. I think all of those things are, are super important. Welcome to the Future of Product Podcast, where I, Max Matson, interview founders and product leaders at the most exciting AI startups to give you an exclusive glimpse into the workflows, philosophies, and product journeys that are shaping the current and future AI landscape. This week, sit down with current co-founder at Unwrap and former Amazon Alexa product manager, Ashwin Singanya, to learn more about how he and his co-founder went from product managers to founders. With all that said, let's dive right in. Welcome, everybody, to uh, the Future of Product Today, I've got an awesome guest, uh, Ashwin Singanya. Um, he is the co-founder of Unwrap.ai, a very exciting uh, startup that I actually just recently uh, discovered while doing some snooping. Um, Ashwin, you've got a really interesting background. Would you mind telling me a little bit more about your background as a product manager? Happy to. So, And then nice to meet you, Max. Um, so I've been product manager or related roles uh, for about 10 years now. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of give you the, the trajectory of it. So... Uh, after graduating uh, with a degree in computer science, was kind of you know debating in between that do I go and kind of be a full time engineer or um, learn what this whole product management thing was about. Um, and my interests were always gravitating, um, you know, more to kind of like kind of well, let's say it was like more of a diverse set of day to day experiences, right? Like I was, you know, I enjoyed developing, enjoyed building products, and actually writing code. Um, but a lot of what I really enjoyed was spending time thinking about, you know, what are the problems that we should tackle for customers? What do the prototypes look like? What does, um, you know, version A, B, C look like? And so uh, started off at a pretty small um, startup here in Santa Barbara. Uh, the company was called Find the Best, later rebranded to, to Graphic. Um, it was a company that was essentially trying to reinvent vertical search. So the idea of, uh, think about what Yelp is for restaurants or what Zillow is for homes. Uh, our concept was all of those share the same underlying technology platform, uh, but each of the data assets is is different, right? And so we were able to build 500, 1,000 vertical search engines. So started off there um, and, you know, working at a small startup, it allows you to kind of just wear a bunch of hats. And so um, eventually veered into product management roles. Um, and so we've been doing that since. Um the graphic uh, story turned into the Amazon story. So in 2017, graphic was acquired by Amazon, um, essentially to be the brains of Alexa's question and answer product. So something that we had built up over the many years at graphic was this large uh, knowledge graph, right? So to be able to make data-driven comparisons in any um, product, right? 
Uh, you amass a large volume of data. And so that became particularly attractive to the Amazon um, team. And so spent five years at Alexa leading uh, question and answer uh, product teams. So if you asked us a question like, um, what is the score of the San Francisco Giants game? Or uh, what is the GDP of France? Or who was the president of France you know, 25 years ago? Any kind of question that piques your curiosity. Um, I was part of the teams there um, building the solutions to power those experiences. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, would you mind telling me just a little bit more about like what that day to day looked like for you as a product manager? You know, working on yeah. you know, product yeah. with so much data. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I think the simplest way to describe it was if you think about the broad problem of answering every question, you know, it kind of seems fairly um, never ending. But really, what we tried to do is say, how do we break our product teams into categories? And so, say, you know, how do we tackle problems around sports or how do we tackle problems around or sorry, questions around sports or questions around politics or questions around shopping products. And so, you know, my job as a day to day um, you know, leader of a product team there was to a try and understand how do I get a, a sense of what are the types of questions and what are the types of information that customers are going to ask Alexa about those various categories? Um, mm. How do I measure how well we're doing against um, the types of questions that they're asking, right? So how do I get a sense of where are we performing well? Where do we have big opportunities? And then once we've identified those opportunities, thinking about, okay, what are the ways that we can go and make sure we can answer those types of questions, and those categories of questions even better, right? So thinking about where do we need to source data to, um, what are the types of answers need to sound like and read like um, in various categories? And then, you know, the kind of day-to-day transactional stuff of ensuring that our teams are, our engineering teams are actually building towards the right solutions there and then tracking the impact of those. And, you know, on a week over week, month over month, quarter over quarter basis, how much better are we getting at providing uh, a Q&A experience to customers in each of those categories? I see. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, you know, for the product managers out there, I, I would imagine uh, working on just about any product, right? You are kind of inundated with feedback. Um, yep. For you guys, I can only imagine what that looked like, you know, with, with yeah. Alexa. Would you mind talking a little bit more about that? Yeah, um, it's it's kind of you know super relevant to, to what I do today. Um, you know, I think there were it was kind of an interesting challenge. It was it was, it was two sides to kind of challenge or to, to tackle here. On one side, we were inundated with just huge volumes of feedback, both in terms of you know the types of customer support tickets and um, you know in app feedback that customers would leave us, uh, which is you know going to be typical of any large consumer product. And then you have all the stuff that's on your, you know, social channels. So Reddit and Twitter and all the discussion that's happening about Alexa in general. Um, But then on the flip side, we had, you know, oftentimes a lack of specific feedback in areas that we were working on, right? And so we'd launch a new feature and we'd want to try and be able to get a ton of feedback about that feature. And you're sometimes limited to, you know, a small case study with, you know, a handful of people or what you can gather from, you know, friends and family testing your product, but to trying to get a large data-driven sample of feedback about a new experience that we launched in Alexa, specifically about that experience was, mm-hmm. was oftentimes challenging. So both of those, you know, they seem kind of like opposite problems, but they were both kind of, you know, messy. And, um, you know, one of the things that really motivated um, my co-founder and I to really try and solve that problem. Got it. Got it. So yeah, let's, let's get right into that. So 
what, you know, we'll, we'll get to like what motivated you specifically to, to form Unwrap, but I, uh, I really liked your guys' tagline, which is discover what your customers need in half the time. So, yeah. you know, not to put you in the hot seat, but how do y'all do yeah. that? Yeah. So let's, let's kind of maybe like, I'll, I'll explain what a process of customer feedback analysis oftentimes looks like, and then kind of how, how we try and tackle that problem. So like Perfect. my experience when we were at Alexa, right, um, was oftentimes you try and first, you know, the first problem is get your hands on some set of relevant feedback to, to what you're building, right? And that can be really difficult. So I'll give you an example of it. One of the products that I worked on Alexa was, um, you know, we had lots of customers ask us, how do I do X? How do I tie a tie? How do I um, change a tire? That type of stuff, right? And that's a complicated experience to try and deliver voice forward. You know, we played around with some various um, experiences on videos and, and in the app and things. And we really wanted to gather feedback on that. And so, you know, first my process would be try and dig through Reddit and customer support tickets and, you know, maybe do some basic keyword searches to try and get my hands on that feedback, right? Next, once you have your hands on some feedback that you think is, you know, relevant to you, trying to say, okay, what are the actual meaningful patterns and actionable patterns in there was really manual. So really what that, what that looked like for us was downloading that feedback into Excel creating some sort of taxonomy in your head of like this piece of feedback maps to this problem that a customer is facing. So for example, uh, answers are too long or right, or lack of visual elements or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And once you've got that taxonomy, then you go through a hundred, 500 pieces of feedback, you tag those, uh, you put it into a pivot table, right. And you've got some sort of stack rank of of what your opportunities are. Right. And that works. Okay. Right. You know, it, it works well if you've got, kind of a one-time analysis, maybe a few hundred pieces of feedback. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of the challenges that we faced were like, A, that just became overly time-consuming, particularly when you needed to do it on like a monthly or quarterly basis, right? So being able to track these things over time, it started to add up the manual cost. Two, you know, we didn't really scale to the hundreds of uh, decisions we needed to make, right? So like the cost associated with trying to do that analysis just became, you know, particularly prohibitive. Um, and then I think three, one of the challenges that we faced was because it was so ad hoc and so manual, it became really, really difficult for these things to like, for the analysis to persist over time. So someone would do that analysis one time, it would live on their laptop, maybe they would change teams. And suddenly now, you know, a new person comes in and they're like, Hey, like how has, you know, have we improved on this type of problem over the last six months? And you know, what the analysis said six months ago is, is kind of lost, right? So fast forward to how we're trying to solve that problem. Um, you know, over the last several years, you know, the, the kind of the NLP space, natural language processing has really advanced, uh, far enough along where a lot of the manual work that we've been doing to a identify patterns of problems and then tag feedback against those patterns, uh, can be done, you know, programmatically. Right. And so unwrap essentially tries to solve a few different problems. First is making it really easy to get your hands on all your relevant feedback and have that just easily cleaned up and aggregated in one platform. Um, and so integrating with any of your sources, whether that's, you know, product support, sorry, support tickets like a Zendesk or Intercom channel, um, NPS feedback, um, public forums, whether it's like Reddit or Discourse or stuff like that, um, bringing it all into one place. And then two, kind of issue identification, right? And so by clustering all that feedback and clustering all the actionable statements in that feedback, you can very quickly kind of see what types of actionable patterns bubble up to the top, right? And so you may take 2000 pieces of feedback 
and look at that and within a couple of minutes, be able to see the top five things customers are asking for or complaining about are A, that they get far too many notifications that are irrelevant to them, that, you know, the application's far too slow, you know, et cetera, et cetera, down the list, right? And so, A, you've cut down the time to identify those in the first place. Um, two, you've now got a data-driven stack rank of those opportunities. And then three, you know, C, as you start to make improvements to your product, you get a real-time tracker of how the customer feedback is changing around those things. And so you can actually measure, hey, have I really solved the problem? Or, you know, does my internal team feel I've solved the problem, but externally my customers are still complaining about that same feedback. Um, right. So we're trying to make each of those steps, you know, substantially easier. Okay, gotcha. That makes a ton of sense. I um, It's kind of a trend that I've seen with this, like, recent wave of AI is that the data has become kind of ubiquitous, right? So it's right. a matter of how do you use it. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I think like, you know, for most companies that we talk to today, the, the data is there, right? They have a ton of it. And so it's less, there's less the concern for them that um, they need to generate a ton more data from their customers. It's oftentimes mm-hmm. they're overwhelmed by it. And okay. because of that, they don't make a ton of use of it. And, you know, what we feel pretty strongly about is that that's actually, you know, a big problem, especially when you're not making use of your customer feedback, it drives the cycle of your customers feeling like their feedback is kind of going into the void, um, which is, you know, an experience that any consumer can can empathize with. Um, Mm -hmm. And and that can be really frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I like that a lot. Um, uh, Alongside that, though, can you tell me about any of, you know, the unique challenges that come with handling that much data with, taking data from publicly available sources, your private data and kind of aggregating it all? Yeah, I mean, no shortage of them. I think, um, so, you know, maybe first, because, you know, volume stuff and kind of just scale, uh, you know, obviously has, has some interesting challenges. I think the, the first one is really, um, how do you pull out what is the most actionable and like meaningful feedback from mm-hmm. large blocks of text, right? And so, Typically, what we see is that there's a spectrum of the type of feedback that you can collect and the cleanliness around that, right? If you are collecting an NPS survey and you ask them, you know, what are a few things that we can do to improve our product offering? You're probably going to get two to three sentences that are super clean and actionable feedback, right? Customers are going to tell you verbatim what they want. um, And then you can use that to try to understand what are their pain points. But parsing through that's very simple. Um, It gets much messier as you start to go to customer support tickets where they may be describing, you know, a ton of background context and you need to pull out what of that is the actual pain point. Um, It gets even messier when you have like a, you know, a back and forth chat with the customer support operator. Let's say you're, you know, we're trying to analyze feedback from like intercom. You may have a five, 10 minute conversation. How do you understand what was the initial reason or initial pain point that a customer, um, uh, presented to before the rest of the conversation, you know, to allow a product manager who's analyzing that to understand what are the root pains. And then again, that kind of gets even messier as you go to a source like Reddit or, you know, Twitter where, um, you know, both you're inundated with much more noise, just a lot of people kind of shouting, say this product sucks. You know, they're not really providing a bunch of actionable stuff. Um, and so mining through that and understanding what is, what are the actionable statements is challenging. And so we spend a lot of time thinking about, what are ways, what are, you know, what are classifiers that we can build to take these large kind of transcripts or large, um, you know, blocks of text and pull out the actionable stuff um, and where that doesn't work, how do we build some sort of rules-based process to, to pull that out um, on a case-by-case basis? I see. 
Yeah, I would imagine uh, from a mental health perspective, probably not the greatest crawling through Reddit comments. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where it is, you know, I think it... Our, our customers say that it's both an incredibly valuable source for them because it's kind of like a unencumbered or sorry, like it's a, it is a, um, it's an honest view from viewpoint of a lot of their customers kind of uh, experiences of their product, but it can be, but sifting through that noise can be extremely painful, right? Right. So you can read through a lot of stuff that's just kind of rants to get to the, to the gold. Um, and so we're, you know, we're trying hard to, to make that process a lot easier for them. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. You know, I, I've had this kind of theory that the way that people interact with software is actually a lot more negative than we make it out in the product world to be right. Um, right. And I only have that theory based on my own experience, which is that mm-hmm. every time I download an app and it doesn't do exactly what I expect it to do on the first time I delete it. Right. Yeah. Um, so I would imagine that, you know, having that kind of unfiltered, unbiased view of all these different streams of data gives you a much more holistic picture overall. Yeah, I mean, I, one of the one of the fun things that that we've, I mean, I think it's been a learning of ours too. Is that initially when we when we started you know building on our app and starting to kind of produce the initial dashboards for customers, a lot of what we focus on were like what are the top ten things your customers hate about your product, right? Mm. But like on the flip side, we've we've seen a lot of feedback from our customers saying like, hey, let we really want to see some of the stuff that they love as well. Yeah. And so you can actually, when you sift through that, you can give them a little bit better picture, right? You can say, look, like we've been able to also tell you the things that customers love about your product, things that you can promote, um, things that you can just use internally to make your your engineering teams feel good, right? One of the challenges that we hear a lot is engineers are so removed from day-to-day customer um, interactions that they don't oftentimes hear the pain points, but they also don't hear about the, the joys that their customers receive, Right. Um, and so like at Amazon, we would spend a lot of time trying to gather anecdotes, both positive and negative and, and share those with the team. And we think that's something that we really want to carry over here too, is how do you get not just anecdotes, but, you know, data driven under like actually holistic, um, uh, analysis of what things people like and what things people don't like, um, and help, help our customers socialize those across their, um, their teams. Totally. So I, I have a question and I, I ask it because over at Player Zero, we are kind of really big fans of using our product on ourselves, right? Yeah. So when our product breaks, we're the first to know about it, right? Yeah. Uh, do you guys use Unwrap for Unwrap, I would imagine? So we use it a little bit. We throw all the feedback into our system. Um, one of the things that is interesting about Unwrap, right, is that uh, our value proposition really starts to become meaningful once you're getting thousands of pieces of feedback a month. If you're getting like a hundred to 200 pieces of feedback, it's not, you know, it's not meaningfully different, I think, in terms of efficiency than quickly scanning through it. So I guess my, my answer to you is I really hope for us to grow fast enough, you know, so that way this becomes a pain point where Unwrap is like an obvious use case for us. I don't think we're there yet, right? I'm at I'm at the point now where I'm still reading through every piece of feedback that our customers leave us individually. Um, but I certainly want to get to that volume soon. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, from a GTM perspective, could you talk a little bit about what that kind of unique challenge is like, you know, serving an enterprise kind of customer at this early stage? Yeah. Um, so I'd say there's like a few, right? So obviously the first one is like, there's, just, there's, there's challenges around trying to be a 
um, an external vendor to the large enterprises, right? So you get all the challenges around data security, integrations, how do you get through compliance and all that type of stuff, right? And so as we, as we work with larger customers, um, you know, getting them comfortable with, with sharing data and understanding all of our security um, policies and how we guard their data, that has been just a learning curve, right? So as we get, as we get deeper and deeper into the experience, we've gotten pretty good at understanding how to have those conversations, what materials to have up front to share with their, um, you know, InfoSec teams, um, mm-hmm. things like that. And then I think separately, one of the things that we've learned, um, which has been, you know, I think it's, it's unique to us, but the, I think the concept holds broader is understanding the difference between your day-to-day user at some of these larger enterprise companies versus the buyer. And so yeah. something that, you know, I think is, we've learned is while our day-to-day user may be an individual product manager who manages, you know, one or many product lines, their buyers at those companies are oftentimes folks in like the product operations roles right. um, where they hold a function of making sure that customer feedback is you know properly disseminated to each of the teams, that the insights are properly calculated. And mm-hmm. so, you know, for us, it's been a journey of learning, you know, through customer interviews, through the sales process, who are the decision makers and the buyers? How are those different than the day-to-day users? And, you know, how does that how do we both you know, make sure our messaging is correct for the different parts of the conversation um, mm-hmm. and how to find, find those internal champions, which I think is, you know, that that's a common problem for, for any, you know, startup trying to, to build into enterprise sales is understanding who your buyer is, understanding who your champion is and how to, how to cut down the, um, the, the navigating of the sales process. Yeah, absolutely. Can I ask, do you guys have a sales team? Uh, we have a small sales team. Yeah. So, you know, initially as, um, uh, cause most startups do, it was, you know, all founder led sales for a while. Um, right. and in the last several months we've, we've started to, to build a small sales team. Gotcha. Gotcha. What has, you know, we're actually kind of at a similar stage at player zero. Um, yeah. you know, as a founder, I'd just love to get your perspective on, are there any kind of lessons that you've learned as you've kind of incorporated a sales motion into your company? on culture, you know, on just generally how you go to market, all of that stuff. I'm trying to think how to, how to answer that. So, I mean, I think we're, we're still pretty early in the, like, in the sales experiment or in the sales team experimentation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a few things that, that we've, we've learned, at least come from my journey doing sales, is it, it really helps to be selling a product that solves a pain point that you mm-hmm. personally had, right? I think like early on, our ability to tell a story about the pain points that Ryan's uh, my co-founder, that Ryan and I both had as product managers at startups and at at Alexa, and how that story has, um, you know, how our pain points have shaped the product that we built, and why we think that product then is right for other product managers, and that you know, oftentimes who we're selling to. I think that has helped us. Um, kind of build a rapport with people, you know, with, with potential customers who we're talking to. Um, and I think it's also allowed us to understand what are the pain points that most resonate with them. So as we start to build out our sales team, I think, you know, making sure that a lot of those learnings and, you know, our story and understanding kind of the pain points that we face and why we why we decided to focus on those, that those are part of the, the sales pitch that are, you know, everyone on the sales team really understands the product and, 
you know, what kind of value it can provide, where it's, where it's strong, where it, you know, still needs work. I think all of those things are, are super important. The way, you know, I think we've handled that right now. One, it's, it's really easier. It's much easier when your sales team is tiny, right? Um, and, but, you know, something is, you know, we tried hard to do is make sure that anybody who is in outwardly facing demos has used our product a ton. They built demos for the customers that they're demoing to, right? They understand how exactly our product works. Um, and so making sure our sales team dog foods our own product um, mm-hmm. before they get out on, on calls, I think is pretty important. Makes a ton of sense. Makes a ton of sense. Um, so just changing streams just a little bit. Uh, I'm really interested in the fact that both of you are product managers, right? And you've made this tool for product managers. Yeah. Um, Kind of on that topic, uh, I'm wondering how you, from your kind of unique vantage point, see that role, uh, mm-hmm. because it feels like it's one that's going through a period of, of a lot of change right now. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you see that role changing now in the next year, in the next five years? My, my experience as a product manager is that, you know, people have asked me like to try and define what a product mm-hmm. manager is, and I think a lot of people will be like, They'll tell you kind of various you know, short definitions. I think it's, it's pretty difficult to come up with like a one size fits all explanation. And what I found is that depending on the stage of the company you're at, just depending on the stage of the product you're in and, and you know, the size of your organization, it, it, it can be many different things at different times. Um, I think what we're going to see is, at least like from my experience, product managers will spend hopefully a lot less time doing the project management side of things. So how do you make sure that you have the right status updates, that the status updates are properly polished so that way they can be, you know, consumed at different levels of the organization? Like I think um, artificial intelligence will, you know, things like GPT will make a lot of that fairly easy, right? You'll be able to spit out reports and things like that from any of your data stores. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I think too, the process of, understanding, you know, what your customer pain points are, um, will hopefully become a lot more efficient, right? And that's, you know, a lot of what Unwrap is trying to do is say that today, if, it, if a product manager needs to launch or thinks they're going to they're gonna tackle like a particular problem, they may start with saying, okay, I've got three or four hypotheses. I need to interview a bunch of customers. And I need to be able to understand, um, you know, their pain points. I need to validate or invalidate my hypotheses. Um, and then from there, I need to go and work with my engineering team to scope solutions. Hopefully, you know, a lot of that initial like validation phase and research phase can become a lot more efficient, um, both from a, like making it really easy to identify which customers are best suited to give you feedback to making a lot of that asynchronous through, you know, automated tools. Um, and then three, just cutting down the analysis process, right. Making that much less painstaking. Um, so I think, I think those are going to be, you know, a lot more, that's going to open up a lot of efficiencies and that's going to hopefully allow product managers to spend, you know, more time thinking about what are ideal long-term solutions with their engineering teams and really doing a lot of that hard design thinking. In my experience, um, I got to do less and less of that. The more time I spent at Amazon, um, Part of that is that as my team grew, I spend more time just day-to-day managing people. Um, but also the number of streams and things that I was constantly juggling that a lot of the, the project management burden took place of hard design thinking, um, mm-hmm. which I think is both, 
you know, a, a frustration of mine and also something that I imagine, you know, imagine most product managers would love to spend less time doing status updates and more time uh, thinking about what the optimal solution for, for their products are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a trend that I've kind of seen is that, you know, in my, in my personal opinion, product managers yeah. tend to make some of the best founders, right? Because yeah. you have kind of this holistic approach to the product, this kind of eagle-eyed view where you can really see from the customer's perspective. Yeah. Um, but all that being said, what have, I mean, I can imagine that this has been a much different challenge from working at Amazon. Mm-hmm. What has been your biggest product challenge specifically when it comes to building Unwrap? Yeah, I mean, I think... From, from, so obviously we have, we have a ton of you know, engineering problems and hard like uh, NLP problems, right? I, I think um, maybe I'll, I'll talk about it in, in two, two ways. One is um, on the NLP side, right? There's, there's all kinds of challenges around how do you spit out the type of analysis? So, you know, assuming that you can get things, you can get your classifiers accurate, you can, you can kind of solve some of the, the basic um, science problems. But like, how do you spit out an analysis of feedback that is going to be most useful for uh, different product managers, maybe at different levels of decision making at a at an organization? And so, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. Right, um, there's a, a customer of ours. They are they got about a product team of about 40, 40 product managers, uh, and they they build a product that's got tens or hundreds of thousands of of paying customers. Right. And so the analysis looks different for a frontline product manager who's working on one or two features than it does for a group product manager who's trying to think about what their quarterly or you know, six-month roadmap looks like versus what the CPO cares about, right? And they're, you know, how do they think about what are the next uh, six months to 12 months of investment look like? Are there major changes that they need to shift in terms of headcount? So thinking about like how does our analysis play to each of those um, levels of, of decision making. And then two, you know, our system is going to make certain, you know, taking one step back, like, you know, yeah. part of what our product tries to do is say, given thousands of pieces of feedback, how do we turn that into almost like, you know, cards that descri- describe a customer pain point, mm-hmm. the volume of that pain point, how that's changed over time, and then all the raw anecdotes. So that way you can say, you can look at that and assess what are the top pain points for me to tackle? Um, when do I tackle those? Um, but you know, as any product manager can probably attest to, it's much more complicated than that. Once you look at the analysis, you need to think about which four pain points are actually related, uh, which mm-hmm. ones can I solve seven, you know, four pain points with one solution. So I want to track those together, right? So all of those like taxonomy decisions, those things become difficult to automatically solve, right? Like the, you know, even the best AI today is going to spit out some uh, decision that or of taxonomy that a product manager may look at and be like, no, that's not how we think about it, right? right. So our, our challenge is like, how do we fit their mental model of, of what's right? Or if we're not going to, how do we give them, you know, controls to be able to to really curate that? So if they if they disagree with our our outputs, how do they make corrections to that? And then how does our system learn from that? Um, I think that is, that's like, you know, that's one big product side of it. Um, And then I think the other is, is really just thinking about, you know, there's all kinds of 
product management tools out there, right? So you have in your, in your whole product management workflow, right? You got, you know, all your tools to manage your roadmap, whether that's Jira or, or Asana or, you know, product board or things like that. You've got tools maybe to do customer interviews. You've got tools to do, um, you know, monitoring in terms of like, you know, mixed panel for engagement tracking, um, mm-hmm. whatever your like, um, uh, you know, bug monitoring software, all that type of stuff is. Right. I think right. another problem challenge for us is thinking about how far into those areas do we try and either build integrations or do we try and build that experience into our tool versus right. you know, just today focusing on being a feedback analysis tool that is then kind of slotted in with everything else in a, in a product manager's staff. Totally. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting kind of quandary that you raised there. Um, it's something that uh, I've been thinking about talking about with uh, Matt, our head of product is, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that at what point can you stop stacking software, right? Because right. there's so many different uh, tooling uh, that product managers use just to do their daily job. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that we've been talking through that I think kind of aligns with, with what we're talking about here is the possibility of uh, kind of going outside of data silos, right? And having one large pool of data and then having tools that essentially plug in to give whatever the vantage point that you need is. Sure. sure. Do you see kind of Unwrap being a tool like that where, you know, it's enabled by all of this data and you're able to get specifically the output that you need in order to yeah. address customer feedback? Yeah, I mean, I think, so we've seen that with, with you know some of our customers who are more sophisticated in terms of um, how they kind of build their their data infrastructure, what we'll see is that you know within their kind of data warehouse, they've got all of their quantitative analytics right about their customers, their engagement, their revenue, all of that stuff. All their feedback is also flowing in as well, right? Mm-hmm. And then Unwrap becomes kind of like a, a tool on top of that, that we, you know, we set up an integration with their, um, you know, Redshift instance or something like mm-hmm. that. And then we're able to pull in all of that feedback. And what's really valuable about having all of their feedback, uh, or sorry, all of their data in one place is it actually allows for much more um, actionable analysis, right? So for example, if we are pulling from an app store, right, of mm-hmm. feedback, and we're pulling just directly from that portal, we don't know much about that customer, right? It's an anonymous piece of feedback and we can kind of, we can, we can tell you, Hey, here's the patterns in, in the text of the, you know, of, of feedback. Mm-hmm. If we're pulling from a data lake that has all their other feedback, sorry, all their other analytics attached to it, we can say of this group of feedback that we found of all these customers who are, you know, complaining about pain point A, um, mm-hmm. on average, those customers are exhibiting much less engagement than your, you know, kind of your kind of your average, or this is the total ARR of accounts associated with this pain point, um, right. or you know, these are the top pain points as patterns exhibited only of the segment of customers who have churned, right? And so, I do think that to your point of having when when, when our customers can aggregate all that data together in one place, and then we can pull you know, kind of piecemeal what we think is most valuable from there it makes our offering a lot more powerful. Um, yeah. But I do think they, there, there's a ways to go for most companies, you know, from we've seen to really get to that place where they've got their data in a, um, in a, in a state that makes it kind of, you know, allow us to reach that reality. 
Right, right. So I, when we do reach that point, or if we do, hypothetically, right, and that's kind of the standard, mm-hmm. how do you think that, you know, tools like your own, um, AI tools will actually be able to kind of evolve and grow, given mm-hmm. that, you know, just mass access to data? Yeah, I mean, I think, so one thing that we're seeing right now, is, I think some of like the trend in AI is that it's becoming like substantially easier to parse through a lot of this mm-hmm. data. So maybe two years ago, you'd say, okay, like they have this stuff all kind of thrown in there, but it's still going to be a lot of work for a data engineering team for them to kind of structure that in a way that makes it so that way it's parsable by you or it's in the, the schema that you need. So that way, even to just integrate, let's say, their um, data from Salesforce on accounts with all the feedback that we're pulling from an intercom or Zendesk instance is like weeks or months of work, right? And so that's a that's an impediment to our tool providing value for them. Um, but if, as all this data starts to become, I think, a lot more easy to parse through like AI solutions, we can say like, hey, go and pull all the data from, you know, give me sales volume by account from this, uh, you know, from this particular data warehouse. And I can do that on their behalf, not having, you know, not requiring data engineers to go and do a ton of parsing. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's going to open up our ability to provide a lot more insight a lot more quickly. Um, so hopefully that, you know, for us, that's a, that's a you know, tailwind, right? That allows us to uh, go from kind of onboarding to fully data saturated uh, much faster. Gotcha. Gotcha. Just enables you to, to kind of do it that much quicker. Yeah, I, I th- yeah, I think, um, you know, what we hear from all of our customers, like, hey, look, they would love to integrate seven, eight different types of, of data sources with us. Um, but there's just, there's so much internal engineering work that oftentimes needs to happen right now that those things, you know, you know, inevitably get uh, kind of pushed down in the priority stack when, you know, you have a, their own customer facing fires to, to fight. Totally, totally. All right, so we're getting close to time, um, but I did want to ask you just a couple of uh, questions regarding AI in general. Mm-hmm. So, uh, first question: Where do you see the world in twenty thirty? You know, societally, from a business perspective, mm-hmm. with AI. Sorry, say it again. With, with AI. Yeah, with all the advancements that are going on, kind of where do you see the world changing? You know, for the better or worse uh, by twenty thirty. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, I think uh, most people that will try and predict 2030 right now, especially with AI, are going to get it probably wildly wrong. So I'll caveat like that. Um, you know, I don't think that even five months ago, six months ago, I would have predicted how fast uh, really just slapping a, a UI layer on top of GPD-3 would have kind of mm-hmm. changed the landscape of technology, right? So, you know, that that made it so widely accessible and suddenly after that everyone's like hey like i can i can build on top of this and you're already seeing how fast things have evolved um i mean I, the, my my personal philosophy around these things are that uh like with most technology things that are seemingly rote or frustrating today to us will hopefully become you know substantially less prevalent so mm-hmm. a lot of the things that we do today that are you know they're not actually super creative or, or, you know, generating net new ideas or, or mm-hmm. innovation, but they're really like going through a lot of mechanical stuff that will kind of get automated away. 
And in turn, that'll free up people's time to do a lot more creative things. And so, you know, for example, I maybe wouldn't have described writing, you know, writing code as particularly rote. Um, but, you know, as the invent, you know, kind of growth of Copilot and some of those things have, have shown, right, there's actually a lot about writing code on a day-to-day -day basis, which is really regurgitating the same thing over and over again. And mm -hmm. no great engineer actually enjoys writing that little, you know, method to parse X and turn it into Y, right? That's not the hard part of their job. The hard part is, you know, thinking about broader designs. And so, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic that obviously that becomes a lot easier for everybody and that opens up space for, um, uh, for a lot more creative thinking. And then I think from there, you'll start to see, you know, the types, uh, you'll start to see kind of really cool new products, particularly created by, I'd say much smaller organizations or even individuals that couldn't be created before, right? And so 20 years ago, if you were, um, you know, a, if you were a teenager, right, you, who had never made a video before, you probably couldn't build a following of millions of people um, and create a brand for yourself and become, you know, an entertainer, right? Now, today with TikTok and tools like that that have kind of lowered that technical barrier, that's allowed for a, a lot of creativity and an entirely new industry. And you see a lot of great content that's produced by, by people who, you know, 20 years ago would have been kind of um, roadblocked or... or um, gate kept from that. And so hopefully what we see is people will be able to create a lot more, right? Single mm -hmm. one, two person teams will be able to create like really, really impressive pieces of software, videos, art, all that type of stuff. Um, so I think those are the things that I feel pretty strongly about that will, you know, will happen beyond that. I think it's, you know, kind of roll the dice. Up in the air. Yeah, totally. No, I, I like that vision of it. And then I think we're kind of seeing that bearing out, right? Is that in a similar way to like how social media gave small creators the tools to just build and, and get it out to the world. AI mm -hmm. is kind of doing that for small creators when it comes to like the business side, right? Um, yeah, exactly, right? And so, you know, for example, a, a one or two person company will, will hopefully be able to build a website that's highly optimized uh, they'll be able to spend substantially less on legal costs because all those things have been automated away. Um, they'll have to spend a lot less time experimenting with how to add target because, you know, those tools have gotten so much better. Um, right. All these types of things that today are, you know, I'd say impediments to them delivering the actual product that they're building, all the, the rest of the administrative stuff around that, hopefully that becomes, you know, a lot lower cost, And then from there, you know, we'll see what kind of cool things they create, but the cost, the cost will go down substantially. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. Um, and then final question for you guys over at Unwrapped, is there, you know, any type of processes that you guys have internally, any type of tooling that you're using yourselves to kind of yeah. get an advantage, you know, in, in the whole build process and GTM? Yeah. yeah. I'll, um, I'll give a plug to, um, to one of the NLP engineers on my team, um, he's been, he's been building some really interesting tooling that, um, we'd actually love to, to potentially release out there. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, one of the challenges that I think a lot of people are going to face today with this whole like prompt engineering, um, mm -hmm. is how do you, how do you very quickly benchmark how well a particular prompt does for a task 
or sorry, given a task, how do you benchmark 10, 20 prompts, maybe against four or five different models and a few different inputs, right? And so I'll, I'll give you an example where um, one of the things that we have used large language models like GPT for is to be able to um, train, basically create our own training data. And so um, if we want to be able to uh, create a sentiment analysis model for each of our customers, right? Um, that can be, you know, you can use something off the shelf, you can train your own model, um, but oftentimes gathering the data, the ground truth data there can be really expensive. Um, we're able to use GPT and other things to create a lot of that, that data, either synthetically or evaluate and make kind of human decisions on our behalf and then train our own models against that. But we need to understand what is the F1 score, right? The, you know, uh, a quality measure um, of AI decisions for 10, 20 prompts. And so we have tooling internally that says, here are 20 prompts, here are your 20 or 50 ground truth annotations that say, this is what the right answer should be. And then you can plug in and instantly kind of fan those 20 or 30 prompts out against um, GPT, against you know, Google's offering, against anybody else, and instantly get back what is the best F1, right? And so that's cut down our are um, like our prompt engineering lifecycle quite a bit. And, you know, we're excited to try and, you know, provide that type of uh, uh, framework to anybody else out there that's trying to solve that same problem. Because again, it's one of those things where like, it's just rote work, right? To try and plug those in, calculate the analysis. And so I think, you know, that, and, you know, we're going to continue to find other ways to, to speed up the, the testing process. But, but that allowed us to, you know, take five, five, seven ideas and we're like, hey, we really want to figure out how to, you know, what's the best prompt here. And um, within, you know, a matter of minutes now, get the answer versus what used to be two or three days per, per hypothesis. That's a fantastic application. I, uh, as soon as it's available, let me know. I'll hop yeah. on for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, I'll have, uh, his name is Jackson. Uh, he's, uh, he's very excited about it and um, I'll, uh, I'll shoot it your way. Yeah, please do. That's fantastic. Well, um, I really appreciate you being on. Uh, it's been a fantastic session. Um, been great to learn a little bit more about Unwrap, learn a little bit about you know your background and, and your thoughts on product management. Um, is there anything that you want to leave the people with? Any plugs, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I think that the main one is if you are, if you're building products out there and you are struggling to really understand what your customers' pain points are, or you're spending too much time digging through feedback to try and get to those answers. Um, we'd love to try and help. I was in the, you know, in, I used to face those exact same problems. I've been in your shoes and uh, the solutions we're building are, are built, you know, inspired by that. So um, give, us a, give us a shout, unwrap.ai. Fantastic, you heard him guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Feature of Product Podcast. And a special thanks to my amazing guest, Ashwin. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about what I do over at Player Zero, you can find us at playerzero.ai. And if you're looking to go even deeper on the subjects we talked about in the pod, subscribe to Future of Product on Substack and be sure not to miss this Thursday's newsletter, which I break down the biggest takeaways from my conversation with Ashwin and explore in depth how product people can collect meaningful product feedback at light speed. I look forward to seeing you there.